For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here? Declares the Lord. Seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. Holy God, we we praise you for for these words, for, for who you are. We praise you for being the rescuer, the redeemer, our deliverer. You've demonstrated it time and time again. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for the great privilege it is this morning to gather to hear your word, your words of deliverance to us, your words of life and of living together with you. So I pray that you would remove distractions here, help us to hear, help us to hear your words to us, that our hearts would be open to you to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I feel like I, I speak Jesus, and I'll just walk off right now. Isn't that our goal? To, like, go out into the world and to speak the name of Jesus. And so, man, as we jump into the Word today, uh, you know, on Mondays, um, day after today, tomorrow I'll be start writing my sermon for next week while it's fresh on my mind. This last week I started right on Monday and looking at this story about the Israelites and how they keep falling in the same sort of sin over and over again. And throughout the week then the Lord sort of fills in different things as we go through this story. And on Tuesday morning I, I texted my bride, I texted Tara, how can I pray for you uh, today? And, and one of the things she said to me just really stuck with me. And, and here's what she asked me to pray for her. 
Pray that I will glorify him and that I will know the truth and live by it. Wouldn't that have been a great prayer for the Israelites? That they would glorify him, know the truth, and live by it. And, and that should be our prayer as well, Lord. Help us just to be, show us your glory so that we can reflect it to the rest of the world. That we can be the light, not of some sort of light that we produce, but we're just reflecting Jesus to the world. So, so what would that look like in a picture form? Well, here's a picture of sort of our area, right? This is the area, kind of Kyle, Buda, a little bit of San Marcos in there. And we, this church, is one part of that. And we're a small part. We're a light in this community. But the reach of this church is, is limited in there. But we do have path groups. We have path groups all over the area, some in New Braunfels, San Marcos, some out in Dale, some all over the, the places as well. But I want you to imagine the same map with you living for Christ, with your house being a dot, with your workplace being a dot. See, the church as a building can only do so much, but the church, the body of Christ reflecting the Lord, that's how revival starts. That's how a darkened world gets to see the light through you living out this example of Christ into the world. And what keeps us from being that light? What keeps us from being this sort of example to the world? Our sin. Our sin. The darkness inside of us. Our choices that we make keep us from being that light to the world. Now listen, the faithfulness of many can overcome the sinfulness of some, right? The faithfulness of the group as a whole can help us overcome. But in this story that we're reading with the Israelites, the lack of faith, the sinfulness of many will drown out the faithfulness of some. And so we as a, as a church have to decide, are we going to choose to be the light of the world? Are we going to choose to go out into our community and reflect his glory to a world that needs hope. Doesn't our world need a living hope? And that hope is Jesus. I speak Jesus. So we're looking at this story. We're, we're walking through this scenario together through watching the Israelites live and saying, let's not make the same choices that, that ma they make in this story. Okay, so we're picking up in Numbers chapter 20, just to get you caught up. If you remember last week, right, we had the, the 12 spies. Ten of them said no. We can't go in. We're like grasshoppers to them. Two of them, Joshua Caleb, were like, no, we are faithful. We got to go in. We got to trust God. And they turned back. They didn't follow him. Right? And so we pick up in this story. Now, a lot has happened since the last time we picked up in this story, right? There has been 39 years of stuff happening. If you were to put it in an Excel sheet, it's about 200 and something lines long of all the different things, the days. I'm, I'm working on it. And I'll give it to you when I get it finished. All the different wanderings and travelings. And they go by this place and then they go back there again because they're wandering around in the desert together. And they finally come to this place. Now, during this time, do you remember Korah's Rebellion? Right, we talked about that a little bit through this series where that ground opened up and swallowed them in judgment, right? That's happened. Do you remember when they challenged Moses again? They took all the staffs and they, they put them before the Lord and Aaron's staff budded. It was an almond branch and it budded, right? So all that stuff has been happening during this time. But we're going to pick up now where they're getting ready to walk into the promised land. They're, they've done their wandering in the desert. They're getting ready to travel into that promised land. So we're going to start in chapter 20. 
and kind of pick up there. It says this in verse 1, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Remember, Miriam was Moses' sister. She had to be outside the camp for seven days because of the leprosy and their challenge last week. She's come back in the camp, and now she has died. Why? Because those who saw the glory of the Lord weren't going to get a chance to go into the promised land. Now in verse 2, it says, Now there was no water in the congregation, for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. Uh-oh. Here it goes again. It's starting. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went to the presence of the assembly of the, at the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Now listen, what did he tell Moses to do? Speak to the rock, and then what was going to happen? Water was going to flow out, right? So remember that. Stick that in the back of our mind. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff before the Lord as he commanded him. So again, here's the grumbling, right? We've seen this story over and over, the same cycle happening to them over and over and over again. Uh, Verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, hear now, you rebels. This is starting different, isn't it? Moses is fed up. Anybody been fed up before? Right? Moses is fed up. He's like, you rebels, shall we bring, wait, who's bringing water from the rock? Moses and Aaron? Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. Now what was he supposed to do? Talk to the rock. Rock, make water flow, right? But he's done this before, hasn't he? Remember, God asked him before to hit the rock. But what does Moses do? Are we supposed to bring you water? And I don't know if this is exactly how it played out. This is the Chris Smith version, how I visualize it. But he hits the rock. Should we? Should we? Like, I don't know if he hit it twice. Like, the first time it worked last time, I don't know what's happening. But God said, okay, I'm going to let it flow. But yet, there's judgment on him. Look what it says next. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron... Because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Because you did this work, because you sinned against me, you don't get to go in the promised land. Guys, listen, our sin has consequences. Now what? Moses had one bad day. One bad day, he had gotten fed up with, you rebels, why are you doing this? Hit the rock. Hit it again. And that's what, that was causes him not to go into the promised land? Yep. One bad day? Yep. 
because our sin has consequences. And when you're a leader, they have even more consequences. Now remember, Moses has already gathered himself to this people. Remember, when he was talking to God about the golden calf, he's like, count me in with the people. So he's already claimed this people as his own, and yet this mistake causes him to not go into the promised land. Guys, one mistake on our part can hurt our witness. I've made this mistake many times before of losing my cool, especially coaching football, losing my cool, reacting to someone, and I've hurt my witness with that person. After I lose my cool, kind of be like, and you want to go to church with me? Probably not. It's not as effective. And so we have to understand that our sin has consequences, and it has consequences here for Moses and for Aaron. And so then they begin their journey, right? Edom says, no, you can't go through our land. And so let me show you a little bit of a map of what's kind of going on in our scenario before we get to our main story today. Over here, they're wandering around in Kadesh and this area, Mount Hor, and these different areas that are going on. And then they decide to go to the promised land. But Edom, this little country over here, it won't let them go through. So they have to go down by the way of the Red Sea and go around the long way around to get to the promised land, because Eden won't let them through. Aaron dies during this time in a, in a very dramatic way. And we pick up in verse 4 of chapter 21 with today's story, kind of our focal passage um, of today for us to learn. So let's look at verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Dad, how long? Why, why didn't you take the shortcut? Why are we going along? Well, because you didn't want to fight the Edomites. we got to go around now. And they begin to go around. They become impatient on their way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Why? Why? Well, remember, what did God say to them last week? Ten times you have tested me. Right? Remember we had the lack of faith section in there, where the, the bookends of it, where they weren't trusting God. We had the, we want to go back to Egypt section. We had that, you know, golden calf thing that happened. But five of them, like half of the ways they tested God were because of food and water. Because, guys, being hangry is real. Right? Being, being, being short on our physical needs and our physical wants, it affects us. In many voices, and they begin to grumble and they begin to complain about the provision. But what's interesting is they have provision, this worthless food, they just don't want it. Oh, you mean that worthless food that fell out of heaven, that tastes like honey, that God's provided for you in the desert, that water that came from the rock. Oh, yeah, so tough. But we do the same thing, don't we? When God provides for us, and it's just not the way we want it. Or it's just not enough of what we think that we want in those things. Because God knows that when we get that blessing, how many times do people fall when they have more blessings? When the things are, seem good. It seems so right. And then they fall because they get comfortable. And they forget they got to trust God for their daily bread. Some of the closest you'll ever be with the Lord is when you're broken. We have a clean and contrite spirit before the Lord. And so we see they begin to complain. Their, their physical needs are getting, not getting met in the way they want them to be met. And so verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery 
serpents. Now, I don't know if these were like snakes on fire, probably not. They were probably fiery serpents because they were poisonous. And when they bit, that, that burning sensation that was in there, that's probably the reason. But it was interesting about this fiery serpent phrase. It's, this, it's the term safra or safra, seraph, right? That kind of idea that's in that word. And it's actually the word that's used for fiery serpent or seraphim, which is a type of angel. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, the throne room, we've read that before? The seraphim flew to him. That word for seraphim is the same word, seraph. Now, it's different in this verse because it says seraph, seraph. It says it twice. So most of the time we take that as some sort of snake or serpent as being that example. We know this, something, the judgment of God is in these snakes that are going to be biting them. Now, I don't know, how many of you are, anybody snake people? Anybody actually like snakes? I'm the, whatever the opposite of a snake person is, that's me. All right, I'm Indiana Jones, right? Ooh, why snakes, right? I hate snakes. Like, if I see a snake, I'm running. Sorry, Bradzilla. If there's a snake, well, I, I would probably come rescue you guys. But if there was a snake in here, I'm out, all right? I'm waiting for you, like, manly people to, like, murder it, all right? Now, I understand. Like, if there's a snake in our house, I'm not climbing on the table and yelling for Tara, okay? I'm, I'm going to deal with it, but I hate it. It's just like, I don't know why, the serpents, I think it's from the Bible, right? The serpent, the whole, I just, uh, so this would be like a nightmare for me. This is a nightmare scenario that all of a sudden, from the roof, snakes fell. And they started crawling everywhere and started biting people. People are dying. I mean, that just sounds like a church nightmare, like that I'm going to have tonight probably. Okay. But, right, this just sounds terrible. Doesn't this sound terrible? I mean, fiery serpents coming around, biting people, killing people. Ah. Crazy, among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for it was spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. By the way, this is not repentance. This is getting caught. This is having to face the consequences of our sin. Guys, let me just give you a hint. When you sin, don't hide it. It's going to come to the light. Step up and face it. That's repentance. That's understanding that you've done something wrong against the Lord. They don't do that. They just react. Oh, no, we're dying. We don't want to die. The consequences are hard. Lord, rescue us from the consequences. And God creates a way for them to have life. Look what he says. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. All right, so here's the scenario. A pole and a snake on it. Snake on a stick, okay? And if you're getting bit by a snake, you can look at that and be healed and be saved. They're still facing the consequences of their sin. They're still getting bit. They're still having that burning fiery, but they get to see that and they get to live. God creates a way, even though death is among them, to still have life if they keep their eyes upon the snake on a stick. Okay? Now, weird. Why a snake on a stick? I mean, why, why would that be that thing of salvation for them? Well, let's keep going. Because what's interesting about the story that's in Numbers 21 and why we would pick this story out of all the stories is because Jesus references this story. Let's go forward into John chapter 3. Okay, go to John chapter 3 with me. 
And let's look at this example of Jesus using this story to talk about himself. Look what he says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. When our kids were little, we did this Nick at night, right? We had the little Nick at night musical where we tell the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? Because he was afraid that his life he had built outside of Christ would get ruined because of his curiosity with Jesus. I want to keep my life intact, but I'm going to be a little bit of Jesus over here in that. That's not a good way to live, is it? We don't know for sure the end of the story with Nicodemus, but he comes to Jesus in the night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do the things that you do unless God is with them. Okay, then follow me. Like, isn't that the right answer? We know you're from God. We know God is doing these things through you. Okay, come and follow me, right? But Jesus presses in on him a little bit. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What? Like, I don't know if this, is it sinful to roll your eyes at someone? Like, I just can't imagine Jesus be like, can you crawl back into your mother's womb? What are you talking about? Like, you're the teacher of Israel? Like, what are you talking about? That's where you went? There's obviously, I'm talking about something more than that, right? So Jesus answered him, right? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is is spirit. By the way, later on they say, sow into the spiritual things. Don't sow into the earthly things, right? We want to sow into the spiritual things. So he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit, that we're free. When you're in the spirit, you're free to live as Christ wants you to live, pointing a little bit towards Pentecost as well in this statement. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we are bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. For I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's like, how can, if you can't understand the little things that we're talking about, how are you going to understand the deeper things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And there's our story. Jesus references the Son of Man must be lifted up just like the snake on a stick. That Jesus was pointing to this picture of life over death and pointing it towards him. And John loved this imagery of, of Jesus being lifted up. We see in John chapter 8 and verse 28 that he refers back to this lifting up of Jesus kind of telling them how he was going to die. It says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know 
that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me, that when, when I am dying, you yell, crucify me, and you lift me up, then you will know that I am the Son of Man. Did you ever know that that story of the snake on a stick was what was right before that beautiful John 3.16 verse? For God so loved the world. Now listen, I know, it feels like a kid verse, doesn't it? But the reason that we teach it to our kids is because it's so beautiful, isn't it? Like, don't miss the awe and the beauty of what God has done just because we teach it to our children. Look what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He so loved us that he sent Jesus to, to die for us, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not an over and over again. We get bit by a snake. We got to look at a stick. Bit by a snake. Look at a stick. But we get eternal life. A once for all, death, new creation, life in him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that we, that the world might, sorry, might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. That we have to choose light over darkness. We have to choose Jesus and believe in the one and only name of Jesus in order to be saved. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why a serpent, though? Doesn't that seem strange? Why would they put a serpent on a stick? Well, what did that serpent represent? Death for them. It also represents sin. Because it was their sin and their grumbling that brought them to the situation. And there's this incredible verse in 2 Corinthians 5, which tells us why there was a serpent on a stick. Look what it says. We'll start in verse 17 to give you context. It says, um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You are ambassadors for Christ. You are the light in the world, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. You are an ambassador for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God makes his appeal to the world through you. Isn't that amazing? You're that mouthpiece. You're the microphone. You're the one proclaiming the light. You're the one reflecting his glory. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That when Christ was hanging upon the Christ cross, he became sin. For us, 
And if that snake on a stick represented sin, Christ became that sin. He was the atoning sacrifice, paid the cost. The wage of sin is death. Christ paid that cost for us so we could be a new creation in him. So instead of living life where, oh, no, I got bit by a snake, let me look for Jesus. Oh, no, I sinned, let me run back to him. Before that, let's live free for him. Let's live, and, and without even knowing it, our world, world, world com- proclaims this. Have you ever seen the symbol for medicine in our world? Right? It's this sort of like two snakes together and it has little wings on top of it. By the way, we totally miss it. In fact, Google it. Most, almost all medicine, we miss it. This is the wrong symbol. This is a symbol for Hermes. And it's not the rod of, of alphas or whatever it's called. It's not that. The actual symbol for medicine is this symbol right here. And they go, the word goes, I don't know how this symbol became the symbol for medicine. We don't know. We've been looking back and trying to figure out what ancient society had some sort of symbol like this that would mean healing and, and life and, and help. And, you know, there is this one writing in Numbers. There's this one writing the Hebrew people had. It might be from there, you think? Do you think maybe the world, without even knowing it, is using this story to proclaim the healing power of God? The hope of medicines based upon the hope, the living hope of Jesus. And without even knowing it, the world is proclaiming the greatness of God. They don't even realize it. They miss it. But we don't miss it. So that's why we can be bold. We can be ambassadors for Christ and go into the world and we can be the light. We don't have to be afraid to bring the sin out of the darkness into the light because Christ has given us freedom. Are we ready to walk in that freedom? Are we ready to trust in God more than we trust in ourselves? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this symbol that points us towards you, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who hasn't put their hope completely in you. Lord, just as that verse says, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. Lord, help people in this room who haven't given their life to Christ. Do it today to find true life and true healing in you. Lord, we proclaim your name, the name of Jesus. I pray that you will help us to go into our world and to glorify him to know the truth, and to live by it. That is our prayer. We proclaim that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite up my favorite veteran. Sorry, Mom. Rudy. All right. Come on up, Rudy. He wants to recognize our veterans today. Yes, church. Um, And we've had a great week or weekend starting Friday where as a a country we celebrated uh, the veterans who've stood up and have heard the calling to uh, stand in those front lines, to be there um, so that we can all have the very freedom to worship God in this building. So we just want to honor you, veterans, um, those of you who have served our country faithfully. Can you please stand where you're at right now, please, and let us just uh, give you a round of applause. There's no expression or words that can ever put how much we appreciate what you did for us. Thank you. Um, Church, we have, um, what a great message Chris brought, and it talked about, um, man, being the ambassadors. You have an opportunity coming up 
where you can pray and think about going on mission for Christ. We offer a trip every year to Honduras um, in March, and it's the 12th through the 19th that you can see behind me. If you're interested in prayer, you're thinking, maybe want to know more questions about it, please come to that meeting November 20th at 6 p.m. We'll, both Kelly and I will be there to answer all your questions, to give you more details. It's not going to go very, very specific to actually you commit, and then we talk about other things, but we'll talk about things there. So please, spend some time prayer. In your time of prayer, if you have questions that come up before the 20th, don't hesitate to ask. I'll be more than happy to answer those. But listen to the Lord as you pray and consider going on this trip. I have the privilege to uh, call up my beautiful wife, Kelly. Uh, she's going to talk to you on why we have these great joy shirts on today. Good morning. I know that when you walked in today, you probably saw people all over the foyer, and you might have noticed the display that we have of the little manger, and that is for the gift of joy. So many of you already know what that is, but if you don't know what Gift of Joy is, it is a local outreach that was started by a member of our church many, many years ago, and it helps to provide Christmas gifts for children in our community that might not be able, to, their parents might not be able to provide that for them at Christmas. So what we have out there on the display are these little name tags Rudy's going to model for us. <laughs> There's these little name tags, and they have the child's name on it. And this year, Fellowship has the opportunity to sponsor 127 children, which is really, really good. So each tag will have the child's name and their age, and if it's a boy or a girl. So, for example, this one's Hillary. She's a 7-year-old girl. And then on the back, it has some information for you, like their clothing size and some of their needs and their wants. And Hillary wants some clothes, and she really needed a winter coat. Um, she really wants bikes and puzzles and some dolls to carry and a unicorn. And I want to take the opportunity to please say, I know unicorns are not a real thing, but please do not buy a live animal and bring it to us. <laughs> Several years ago, we saw the death of a little hamster in our, in our things. We don't want that to happen again. No live animals. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's lots of things on the back of these tags. However... You can buy one thing or you can buy all the things. Whatever you choose to buy, that's between you and the Lord, and there's no judgment. You just make that decision um, in your family, and you can return the gifts up here. There are also some tags, some big tags like this, that say Christmas dinner on them. We would like the opportunity to provide the parents of these 127 children a gift card to buy some snacks and some goodies for their Christmas meal. So those tags are also out there, and you can make the payments today here at church. One of the most important things for us as the um, team that works for Gift of Joy is this little paper that's attached to the tag. This is when you choose a child that you want to sponsor, you fill out this tag, this little tag with your name and information and drop it in the red bowl that's on the table. We need this to keep track of the children so that we can ensure that each of those 127 children gets their gifts. Um, I've lost my spot. I'm really sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> Personally, the team that works for Gift of Joy has contacted and spoken with every parent of those children, parent, grandparent, or whoever is their legal guardian. And each person is always shocked and amazed. Some are even embarrassed that they have to seek help, and they don't understand why it is that a group of people would come beside them and help them provide this for their children. At least we don't even know them. I feel like this whole worship service has really 
spoke to why we do what we do. And we want the name of Jesus to be spoken over every heart in every place. And so we beg of you, if you take this card and you choose to buy gifts for these children, don't make it stop there. Pray for them. Let them know in your prayer that they would know who our living hope is and that they would know that that salvation is the greatest gift that they could ever receive. So when you're out there and you're looking over all of these children's names, if you have any questions, you can look for people that have little joy shirts on and ask them any questions. So we just thank you in advance for all the support that you're going to give the children in our community this season. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> and the announcements don't stop. We're going to have Sandra come up and give you some um, mystery about what's going on with the ladies' ministry this coming season or month or next month. You're, sti you're still on that. Hey, good morning, church family. It's so good to see you. So I have two things that I want to talk to the ladies of our church about. Number one, today is the last day to sign up for the Advent celebration that's taking place here at the church on November 27th, which is the Sunday following Thanksgiving. If you have not been to one of our annual Advent celebrations, it is a fellowship for women where we eat together, we craft together, and we focus our attention on Jesus, the real meaning of this season. It's always a, a wonderful time. But so we can put numbers into the caterer and we can buy crafting supplies. We really need to know if you're coming. So if you would see Abby or myself or um, one of the women's team members in the foyer today before you leave, that would be wonderful if you haven't already signed up. The second thing that I am so excited to tell you about is that the women are going to have a winter retreat, and Rudy's already hinted, it's called The Mystery at Log Country Cove. A Log Country Cove is a beautiful um, place on Lake LBJ um, in Burnett, Texas, just outside of Marble Falls. We'll be going um, January 20th through the 22nd. Um, registration is up on the website if you're interested in going. You'll find information there. You can come see us in the back if you want more information in purpose. Um, in person, but I will tell you there are only 58 spots available. So if you are interested in going, you need to go ahead and um, fill out the form to register and pay the deposit, and um, I just hope and pray that um, a lot of you will want to come. Thanks. Church, who is the Lord of hosts? Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. God bless you, church, and may you go in peace.